0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding
1: family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon. I'm Anthony Chen, your host with Family Business Radio. Thank you for tuning in for another great episode. We have three fantastic guests with us today. First up, we have Andy Kalajian with Fort Leadership, followed up with Dixie McCurley with Cherry Baker, and Tanya Osinski with Osinski Law LLC. So to kind of start us off with our program, talking about a little bit of leadership, we have Andy. Welcome to the show, Andy.
0: Hey, Anthony. Great to be here. Thank you so much for the honor and the privilege. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for coming on to the show. So kind of uh, as a typical start for most of our guests, kind of share with us how did... Your consulting firm came out and how did Fort Leadership as a name for your company came about?
0: Yeah, so uh, thanks for the question. I, uh, I started out at about nine years old and discovered that I wanted to be in medicine and I wanted to serve people and I wanted to help people. Um, later on I got into the cub Scouts and the Boy Scouts and my dad was drumming into my brother my sister and I my parents both were actually about character and uh, and uh, discovered at the age of about 12 that I had a gift of gab is what my father says that's a nice way of putting it I guess maybe I was a motor mouth but I like to talk in front of people and so um, anyway I pursued a, a career in in medicine um, went to school um, got a degree in medical technology decided dentistry wasn't for me but I decided to make a pivot way back in 1985 and decided that I was going to um, focus my career on medical device sales um, because I was my passion for medicine and my gift of gab and put those two things together so I created for myself a 33 year career in medical device sales selling to orthopedic surgeons um, did that as a as a rep carrying the bag so to speak um, and then later in in different leadership capacities um, most of that time was with a division of Bristol Myers Squibb. So um, anyway, I left corporate, uh, the corporate world after 33 years, and my wife said to me, "She said you need to move out of your comfort zone and into your gifted zone." <laughs> and to be honest with you, I didn't even know what that really meant. But um, so here's the newsflash. Guys, listen to your wife. Um, I, I followed what my wife had suggested I do, and she says you love to speak, teach, and coach, and you need to be speaking and teaching and coaching the principles that you grew up with. and uh, And uh, it blew up our, my business. It blew up the business of the of, of the people that I was responsible for. And so, um, so that's what I do now with Fort Leadership and, and Sales Consulting is to help um, grow people's businesses by really growing their their character and their leadership capacity.
1: Well, that's already good advice right there for us guys that are married to listen to our misses. So in terms of the the name, Fort Leadership, how did that name come about?
0: Yeah. So uh, the short answer is it's a it's a family name. Um, it's a, about 100 years old now. My grandfather, my dad's father, escaped the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917, went underground at the age of 14, and went to New York and then on to Detroit, Michigan. When he was 28 years old, he started a tool and die casting company called Fort Tool and die casting on Fort Street in Detroit, and he had the patent on wheel weights. He was in the Masonic Temple Lodge with um, with Henry Ford, and Henry Ford asked my grandfather if he would make wheel weights for the Ford automobiles back in the uh, in the thirties. And so my grandfather did that. Um, later on, my dad had a title company uh, in Detroit called Fort title, and so really Fort Leadership is sort of a tip of the hat to both my paternal grandfather and my father.
1: So it's kind of continuing the torch of the family name and business. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So then kind of going right into it, uh, for the tagline, you mentioned a little bit about transformational thought and action. Uh, is that more about just listening to your spouse or is it a little bit more behind oh, it, that? It
0: is. Transformational thought and action is about listening to your spouse, but but really, um you know, all along the way, when I was a little kid um, growing up, let's say in high school, I think it was probably about 17 years old, my mom handed me the book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And that book led me to Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which led to Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and James Allen and Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and John Maxwell uh, and many, many other business uh, leaders and, you know, that that wrote books about leadership and that sort of thing. I was very interested in that. I read those books Um I underlined and made notes in those books, and then I did something a little different. I um, I started applying what I was learning, so. Uh, it- it resulted in, in actually transforming not only my personal life and my and my faith life and my physical uh, being and everything, but it, it really changed my, my financial picture in, in the business that I was creating in medical device. And then when I went out into leadership and changing those businesses uh, of the people that I was responsible for. And so transformational thought in action is to say that when you sow a thought, you reap an action. Whatever you think about all the time, you're going to take action on it. When you sow that action, in your life over time, you're going to reap a habit. And when you sow that habit over time into your life, you're going to reap character. And character, as Heraclitus said in 540 BCE, uh, the philosopher Heraclitus said, character is destiny. Character determines your destiny. So if you really want to change anything in your life, whether it be faith, family, finance, fitness, physical or mental fitness, you really, behavioral modification is really difficult. You really got to go all the way back to thought. What are you thinking about when you're thinking about the things you're thinking about? That sounds so meta, as the, the new age uh, youngsters would say.
1: So, can, so the whole theme in terms of your consulting your business is all structured around developing character. Can you kind of share with us you know, how, how is it even more relevant, especially in today's timeline with corporate culture?
0: Right. So, uh, and that's a great question. You know, really, in, to have a healthy corporate culture today is really huge in America, right? Seventy-five um, percent of the uh, millennials coming out today, um, those are those individuals that are you know, probably between 25 and 40. So that millennial generation are people that were born um, in, in 81 all the way up to 1996. And those individuals are looking for a healthy corporate culture where everybody's invited to the table um, and everybody's ideas mean something and everybody's got worth and everybody has contribution. And so in order to, to bring those healthy – to develop that healthy corporate culture, you really – are really thinking about a healthy corporate character because when people come to the workplace, they're really bringing their character to the workplace. And so the foundation of Ford Leadership and Sales Consulting is really character development – When people come to work, they're bringing their character, and we are a culture of characters. And so what we find out is that as we grow our capacity in our character, in our leadership ability, we create healthy corporate cultures.
1: Well, speaking of healthy corporate cultures and and, and the new generation of employees coming in, I've... Knowing you for a while, I know there's there's a tagline you like to present in the chamber. What what is that quick joke that for our audience that are not familiar with it?
0: Yeah, so so the quick joke was kind of a actually a true story with my dad. And the question sort of went like this: It said, "Hey, how many people work for you?" Mm. About half, <laughs> and and that's because you know everybody's not everybody's bringing a hundred percent of their game to the mission and vision and values of that corporation. And what what companies are really trying to do and what the millennials are trying to do, and because they're going to be 75% of the workforce in the next five years, what they're really looking for is the mission and vision that you have on your, on your walls. Is that what's being behaved out in the halls? The mission and vision and values that you have on your halls, are they being acted out? in in, on, in the hallway. Now, in, maybe I messed that up, but it's what's on the wall needs to be in the hall. Mm-hmm. And that healthy corporate culture, where everybody's able to bring their best ideas forward. And and it really is incumbent too on, on the employee because they need to bring their A game. So if they're bringing in some problems that they're having with their health or kids or family or whatever, they, they need to be able to work through that so that they bring their Best self to the game for their employer, and the employer needs to create an environment where that is um, bringing that that employee along into that whole, that that corporate environment that is a healthy corporate environment and not one that is perhaps unhealthy or even perhaps. Uh, dysfunctional, or even toxic. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of a two-way street there. But when we get that right, and we get that right in America, um, I think we're going to have much healthier corporations, much healthier employees, and a much better relationship between employees and management.
1: Well, here might be a million-dollar question. So we've seen a lot of articles talking about corporate culture and then the whole great resonation and people saying, well, you know what, some of the key words that you brought up, toxic culture, wanting none of it, or leaving corporate, but looking at both two lenses, the corporate side and also the smaller and family businesses. How could something, someone like yourself bring in that philosophy and really fix, not just for the corporate side, because they're just going to keep going the way they're doing, but getting also the family business on board to understand the value?
0: Right. So so in the way we go about doing this really is going through a, a curriculum together. And just to, just a real quick brief example, I'm I'm currently working with a client that's out of New Jersey and they work for the Department of Defense and NASA and medical device. And that was my connection with them was medical device and it's a group of 25 engineers in an engineering firm. And we took the six members of the engineering firm executive leadership team and we th- took him through um, John Maxwell's book, The Fifteen Invaluable Laws of Growth, and it was an eight-week process. And we went through that and now we're, we're, we're doing further engagement because we're going to drive that, uh, that teaching down into the remainder of their organization. So not just the six executive leadership team, but the other 19 members. The other day as we were wrapping up and I was asking them, you know, what chapter, what part was really the best part? What really spoke to you? And it was really fascinating because they said, you know, really the best part of all this curriculum for us was to get to know each other at a much deeper level amongst the executive leadership team. And they told me that they had a particular turbulence in their organization that some member of the of the organization left or they had to let somebody go, and they said that this curriculum allowed them as leaders to be able to have the capacity to actually handle the situation in a much more uplifting and and protective kind of uh, environment for their organization now. Anthony, there's not a single chapter or a single paragraph even in the curriculum that really addresses the situation that they found themselves in, but because they were they were growing their corporate leadership structure amongst themselves and getting to know each other deeper in a much deeper level with this curriculum. They felt that they were better able to handle as an executive leadership team, the turbulence that they went through with the organization. So um, it's really quite fascinating. Usually the, the magic starts happening about week four, week five, and uh, it's really magical when it happens in an organization. But, you know, it's like what I like to say is for leadership, you know, creating healthy corporate cultures, one character at a time. Wow, Great. Well, for our listeners
1: that are listening to all this, how best can they find you to kind of tap into your thought of thoughts, know what they're thinking and uh, putting what's on their wall into the halls
0: yes well um the best way is to reach me at my email address you can reach me directly at andy at fort leadership that's f-o-r-t leadership fort leadership one word andy at fortleadership.com um, you can also reach out to me by cell phone at 770-597-9005 or you can look me up on linkedin um, forward slash in forward slash andy Collagen. great thank you andy Thank you so much Anthony. thanks for the privilege of being here. Thank you.
1: So a second guest coming up right up. Dixie. welcome to the show Dixie.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for being on the show. so kind of share with share with us uh, your background What got you into accounting?
2: Sure. well, my whole life I've been good with numbers mm. uh, from math exams to uh, college algebra to now um, I'm an accountant by trade mm-hmm. um and uh, I love helping clients uh let their numbers tell the story of their business. So, so oftentimes the numbers are disconnected to what they think the business says mm-hmm. and are continuing to have to explain that to all kinds of stakeholders, be it the bank, be it their investors, be it their other partners, et cetera. And so we help them do that in uh, se- several various ways, but by outsourcing their accounting department and accounting functions to experts when they need it, I think that's the best way that they can, you know, run their business a lot better.
1: So you kind of share, create a a story or narrative behind the numbers. It's not just ones and twos.
2: Right. You know, every CEO I've ever met likes to talk about the last five years in business. So oftentimes when we create financial statements as a profession, as accountants in general, it doesn't have the last five years. So how they grew, what they went through, what they learned is also a very valuable thing in their business. So um, connecting historical data to the way that they've got to do and looking forward five years, it's not only about today. It's about what happened in the past to get them there. What do they see in the future coming and how are they going to take action today to be able to do it? Mm.
1: So it sounds like it's kind of the stereotype with when people look at CPAs, accountants, it's all oh, you're just being counted, you're just looking at the past. But it sounds like you guys are more proactive in your approach and projecting forward for the client.
2: Yeah. You know, I started my career out in um, accounting for a corporate company. So I started at Earthlink. Mm-hmm. And Earthlink at the time, in the year 2000, was the coolest tech company out there. Um, you know, the number two internet service provider in terms of dial-up. And um, we didn't have to do it the way that you do at a CPA firm. So learning how to build a world-class accounting department there, um, kind of bootstrapping it, you know, acquiring other practices, rural companies, learning uh, people, accountants, HR people that were losing their jobs and severcing people and having to go through all of that. I just happened to raise my hand to say that I would do anything. So whatever special project the business needed at the time, I learned how to do. And I saw a real need in the market. Lots of other small businesses actually needed someone who knew how to do all of that. Uh, And we needed to do it as a profession, a CPA firm that gives away financials. Today, clients don't do anything with financials. If they are three weeks behind, they really can't take action on that. That's what happened a long time ago. So my mission is to give clients real-time access Visibly, the way that they need metrics in a way that they can make action to run their business better.
1: So, which kind of leads to the next question is uh, well, you, you kind of already answered the question coming up is as you're working with corporate, they understand the value of accounting. But for small businesses, let's say the common pushback is well, I'm just a small business, I don't really have the budget. What would be a way or other reasons that you can kind of come across or explain to the business owner that, hey, it's because you are this small or as you're growing, why the value would become so?
2: Right. You know, a lot of small businesses, they need a little bit of one role. So I like to say a little bit of a bookkeeper, a little bit of a controller, and a little bit of a CFO. But to gather that talent internally and manage and run an accounting department that might not be what the business owner is good at. So I like to say, why don't we put you in the strength of running your business and not necessarily running an accounting department mm-hmm. and let us do that. As so we do it over lots of different clients, You know, create best in class services related to it. We've seen it before, we get good at it. We have the time to be able to continuously optimize it for their business.
1: Mm-hmm. So what will be kind of the differences that you, you notice as you're working with someone that's kind of on the fence? who's been doing it themselves the whole time, maybe uh, Excel or a Quicken at best, or God forbid they actually still using pen and paper. Right. <laughs> so, And versus compared working with someone like you, outsourcing all of that work.
2: Yeah, so I think having the know-how is is really good. A lot of small business owners can run their business really well by their gut. They know their numbers. They know how to use Excel. They know how to do all of those things. And they have the option of one of two options. One, do it yourself. or number two, outsource it to someone who can actually push you a little bit further. And I think that clients make that decision when they realize I need help and I don't want to do this anymore. So they grow. They understand, okay, I've got to go learn these other things and someone else can handle and take care of the DIY accounting. They can do it in ways that are insightful. So in my experience, clients really want help. You know, they don't want to actually do it themselves, even though they can. And then they want to witness the thought of someone who sees it across lots of clients, right? So they want you to cover their financials with them. They know how to review it. They know how to balance their checkbook. They know how to do their bank recs. But they want to talk about, okay, what do these numbers mean for the business? And how can I do better in it? And so the advice So to witness an expert's advice in a way that is, you know, a slice of a CFO once a month or once a week, those are the options that we create. But third, I think that they really want to learn from us how to run a better business. And so we do training on it. You know, we can run a key metrics workshop. We can do those other things uh, from the professional state because we have several different departments in our organization. We have several different experts. And so to create that, gig economy from a professional accounting perspective is what I'm trying to do today Mm -hmm. that clients can reach out when they need us and they can find a lot of value in our services to incorporate into their businesses. Mm -hmm.
1: So what, as you're working with these small business or family businesses specifically, uh, they've been, as you say, been doing themselves for a while. What is like one major problem that you see pretty common among them?
2: Yeah, I think to find top talent is definitely hard to do. And then when you lose top talent is kind of can be disastrous for that family office or that small business, because I'll just use the name Bonnie. Bonnie knew where everything was. Bonnie knew how to do everything. So being tied to a person, especially these days when the boomer generation is retiring, when we have, you know, a lot of change, people stay in jobs for two years these days instead Mm -hmm. of 18 years. We're trying to create an environment where we can handle turnover. We can handle that. We've got processes and procedures established that it's not all tied to one person and in someone's head. So we can empower that person. And if the worst happens where they were to lose talent or can't find the right talent, we're creating that talent pool uh, of being able to have that consistent in their business and also grow with them. So to have Bonnie, maybe not know the latest technology, Maybe not know how to do the best processes, connect systems, all those types of things. with Digital advisory and digital technology these days, it changes so fast that I know that an in-house person, there's no way they can keep up with all of that. So we've got to have a team who keeps up with it, optimizes it, gets trained at it, and then also does the work.
1: Well, speaking of technology, I mean, for the past 10 years or even just the past couple, a lot has changed. What is the biggest impact regarding from tech to accounting services?
2: You know, going to the cloud has just really been a huge transformation. I can't tell you how many clients' offices I visited where the servers were in the closet. Um, I even have had some clients in the past where their servers got stolen. So the shift to the cloud has opened up the talent pool. It's opened up our services to be able to not have to go on-site to clients and then most recently with the pandemic, I think it's advanced technology over five years and clients are more willing to outsource to a firm like ours today than ever before. So having done this for the last 10 years of uh, clients still want to see people, but technology is getting so good that we're a- able to collaborate faster and we're able to create that. Hey, can we get on a call? Let's talk about this most pressing issue in our business. Let's see how this aligns with it. Can you teach me and train me how to look at this the way that you do? And then give some advice on what to do next.
1: Well, you say uh, about the cloud and some people having still physical hard servers. I, I thought that that was kind of a, a long dinosaur thing. I mean, do you still run into many businesses that actually have physical servers? And
2: Well, it's not only servers physically, but just on your laptop. Like you may have the accounting software only on your laptop. Now. There's been a huge trend for years for moving to online banking was the first one. Clients were very resistant of that. There's been this trend to move to QuickBooks Online. Clients were also resistant to that. You know, they knew what they knew with QuickBooks Desktop. They wanted it on their laptop. They wanted access to it. But now they're willing to let go of, I actually don't have to be the one that runs this because I can see in a dashboard what all they've done for me over coffee the next day and I don't actually have to do it anymore. I rely on that it's so real time that it's all updated and it's in an accurate way. I'm now willing to let someone else do it for me.
1: So cloud being the latest go-to now as companies or accounting and small business are adapting to it, what's kind of next on the horizon tech-wise both accounting and or small business should be kind of aware about?
2: While the cloud created a lot of access, it also created a ton of data and a ton of information. Mm-hmm. So if you can provide insights in a collaborative environment, this ecosystem for companies to have intelligent organizations where things are connected to everyone, you create this um efficiency where we don't have to recreate all of the information. So usually to go from one system to another system, to another system where it's not all connected, um, Technology now with open APIs, with systems, with getting a one source of the truth, that's what we're trying to do is the business intelligence part of we're only going to give back to our clients the most pressing things that we see in an insights report and not the 250 reports that they need to analyze themselves. So we're analyzing it, giving them back the insights and to shift and be an advisor related to that, versus just a typical controller who gives a financial statement, we've had had to learn how to do that. Technology's enabled that as well. So the collaborative technology of Zoom, of um, all kinds of ways to drill into the information of, of do it right there instead of sending emails back and forth. I think that that's one of the areas to grow into is how do we do business intelligence better for clients aligned to their numbers.
1: So kind of looking at this through my own bias lens of finance finances and looking at for a small business especially as you brought up the gen boomer generation and looking at percent potentially retiring or succeeding their business uh with this access of cloud i mean how's that experience for you and potentially working with other professionals in collaborative scenarios
2: Well, I think it's really opened it up. You know, I've been joking with my peers. Uh, I was at a conference last last week in Vegas, um, the ASCPA Engage. And I think that um, people who are of age to retire and considering whether or not they should retire, they're now laughing that they can actually sit in their recliner and actually continue to do work on their laptop. So I think there's a wealth of knowledge there. One of the things in my head of just like I would love to do would be rent a retiree because they know the ins and outs. They have done it 18 times or 1800 times before. And so in trying to manage a staff today, a very technologically savvy younger people, they also just don't know exactly why the business owner may be asking that question. But if we were to call the rent a retiree, they walk the person through mentor, train all of that. So We've got to do some training on passing the knowledge from generation to generation and also teach the older generation how to use the technology. So to me, to merge the two is what I try to do every day, like try to hit right into the middle. Mm -hmm. And that's how we can create a really good environment, a very rich environment of knowledge to be able to tap.
1: Oh, well, sounds like it might, might be a business model right there. Uh, rent a retiree might want to trademark that yeah, that's <laughs> pretty trademark. quickly. <laughs> right. well, I that's fortunate because we do have an, uh, an, uh, a business attorney coming right up. So she, I might hit her up with that question. Right. But in terms of for someone who wants to rent a outsource accounting service, how best can they find you, Dixie?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, LinkedIn is always very easy. Um, I'm lucky with a unique name that if you Google Dixie McCurley, you're going to probably find me. But um, you can go to our company's website, cbh.com, or look me up on LinkedIn, Dixie McCurley. And then my email address is dixie.mccurley at cbh.com. Great. Thank you. Thanks a lot.
1: Speaking of law and business, we have Tanya with us. Welcome to the show, Tanya.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Anthony. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you. So, kind of share with us your origin story of what got you into law.
3: Well, I've always just felt like I had to prove that I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's how it started. But um, I realized um, in when I was in college that. Um, after taking a class in law, that it was the right fit for me, because I liked the way it was so logical, um, that it was so, you know, uh, exact, and the way the thinking process worked, it was just a good fit for the way I thought. And, um, and so I went to law school. And back then, back in the 90s, law schools were pretty much uh, based on litigation, every all the classes were about litigation and and trying cases. Even the contract classes were about how to prosecute a contract breach claim. Uh, but I really didn't like litigation. I I loved writing and I loved the logical side of the writing. Um, and it was just turned out to be that in my first job, I got to do a lot of contracts, and I just really it was just the right fit for me. So I ended up making a whole career out of contracts. And I went from one uh, position within the corporate world to another, I was always an in-house lawyer for over 20 years. Working in the business, um, helping them uh, get their goals uh, figured out, help, helping them, you know, document transactions and some compliance work and things like that. And then uh, four years ago, I decided to leave the corporate world and and be able to help smaller businesses and uh, with the kind of service that the big companies get from their in-house counsel, mm-hmm. which they don't have access to.
1: So looking at your transition, going now working with a small business and, and them not having the resources for in-house counsel now, kind of the stereotype as I kind of address to Dixie is, oh, I'm just a small business. Um, I, I don't know if I'm ready or if I'm right enough size for full uh, accounting or, or attorney. Is, is there some signs that you can kind of guide for, for our audience as to, hey, this is, when this happened or when you hit this metric, this is when you should seriously consider having a perhaps outsource uh, attorney?
3: Sure. I mean, that's a great question. And there are several uh, legal firms now who, much like Dixie, offer their services as fractional general counsel. Uh, But I think for most small businesses, they may have one-off issues in the beginning. They even, you know, they will need their uh, founder agreement if they have Uh, co-founders, like if they have investors who are in the business together, they may need a contract for a client, you know, a form that they may need, or some supplier forms. But generally, when a business gets to the size, and um, typically it's a B2B business, where they find that um, they're dealing with sophisticated clients who are also businesses who want to negotiate those contracts every single time um then they start to need more regular legal support from from a lawyer who may not necessarily be a full-time employee but someone who needs to be there on a weekly if not in you know, a monthly basis to help with those negotiations and that's when they would need a business counsel like myself they may have other legal issues that come up from time to time uh, but for for general day-to-day legal issues it, it it usually takes a little while for a small business to get there.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, adding on top of that, not just with uh, contract sh- negotiations, especially if they're doing B2B, but even between owners. So let's say, for example, there's more than one owner, yes. there's partners um, right. for those who are just kind of, oh, I trust my friend or family friend yes. or it's my brother, they won't do anything to us. I, I imagine you've probably heard this before, yes. famous last words. Can you kind of share right. with us, uh, the audience, well, why is it important to, get a business attorney engaged really early on?
3: It is extremely important. As long as there's more than one person who is the owner of a company, um, they need a a real custom-made agreement between the parties because, well, when things are going well, you don't need any agreement. That's not what agreements are there for. Those agreements are not there when everything is working perfectly. They're there for when things don't work perfectly. And you never know when that's going to happen. And unfortunately, it happens more often than people think. That there are disagreements. People remember things in different ways. They um, don't agree on the strategy or the, you know, their goals for for where the company should go. So there are disagreements, and sometimes they are serious disagreements. Or even sometimes I see situations when somebody has a problem in their personal life or something happens where you know the person is just not the same as they used to be whether it's whether it's a mental health problem or an alcoholism problem or a sickness or you know anything so an agreement that is drafted with uh with those founders together is what they need because it's there's no such thing as a standard agreement If you find a form online, it's going to say stuff you don't want it to say. So you want to have an agreement that talks about how you're going to operate that company exactly the way you want to operate that company. And that's where um, you need to have a lawyer right in that first starting stage to help you document what you want for, for going forward and make sure that if there is a disagreement, there's a framework for
1: how you're going to resolve it. When kind of speaking on a topic of DIY, as we have people with win on the counting side, I imagine the elephant in the room is, oh, I can try to, as you kind of brought up the standard yes. agreement, oh, I'm just going to legal zoom and, and, and kind of print out a PDF. And, and that, sure. that, that'll be that kind uh, of, can you kind of share with us those or just not in the know that the big difference between that versus working with someone like yourself yeah. in that regard?
3: I think those forms are fine if there's one person. So, if you're going to be the entrepreneur and the only owner, fine, get those forms for yourself because it doesn't really matter. You're the only owner, <laughs> and it doesn't matter what agreement you have with yourself because it's just you. Mm-hmm. But as long as there's another party involved, and I see this all the time clients come to me and say, We got this form online. Can you tell us if this is good? That's the question I get. Is this good? Um, and the and the answer is maybe, uh, but have you read it and does it say what you want it to say? And um, frequently they will say, oh, this is an agreement, but here's another piece of paper my partner and I uh, wrote up based on what we wanna, you know, how we wanna divide our profits, for example. And and it and it was a complete mismatch to what the agreement actually said. So people don't read those agreements; they just think that they're all the same. Uh, but they assume that it's just a standard form, so they're all fine. But they're not. They're not. There's no such thing as a standard form. Those agreements don't say the same things, and they may not say what you think they that they say. So it's it's great if you if it m- happens to match what you want, but the chances of that are pretty slim. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, we've touched on the timeline as to when it's best to consult with the business attorney uh, from the sounds of just not just starting the business, especially when there's partners involved. But now let's kind yeah. of fast forward in terms of business succession, since we touched a little uh, on that prior
3: yeah.
1: without gases. When is the best timeline in terms of having the business owner themselves or partners, engage with a business attorney like yourself?
3: Well, the ideal time is right in the beginning, right? Because just like everyone says, you you plan with the end in mind. Mm. Um, Just when you start a business, you need to think about your exit strategy from that business and how you structure that business may change depending on what your exit strategy is. So it's always good to consult with a business attorney right from the beginning, because the way you set it up, how you organize the business, could be different depending on what your end strategy is. But let's say they didn't do it and um, years have passed and it's time to think about exit strategy. There's a lot of things that a business lawyer can do to help with that process early on, not just when the buyer sends you the form of contract to review. Uh, Because what happens is in a business sale, A lot of negotiations happen before the contracts are exchanged, and that value is established early on. So uh, the way a business attorney can help boost that value is to make sure that everything is clean and ready right from the beginning of the process. Just like an accountant can help clean up the books and make sure the financials are clean, the lawyer can help clean up the corporate records and make sure those are correct, And can help document any contracts that the company may have with customers, which having, you know, contracts with customers is very valuable from a buyer's perspective. So that can actually boost the purchase price of the business. So all of those things and make sure that everything is ready for the due diligence period, because that's the time in a business sale when a buyer takes a deep look into all of the company's records from financials to legal to contracts to corporate and everything else. So going through that due diligence process ahead of time by yourself and getting it all ready to go um, can really save time in the final deal, as well as potentially boost the purchase price Mm. that the seller gets.
1: Well, then kind of fast forward then as we're discussing the succession plan and really setting the pieces in place for the sale uh, of a business. What's the most biggest common mistake that someone that's coming to you right off the bat and say, Hey, Tanya, I'm looking to sell my business. Uh, Where am I at? What's the biggest legal, I guess, hurdle or elephant in the room that most business owners haven't really even thought about?
3: I, I think what I see a lot is that in those early stages, when there's just discussions And people exchange something that's called a letter of intent or a term sheet. And it says on it that it's non-binding. And people just don't take it very seriously because it says it's non-binding. But it is actually probably the most important uh, document in the whole deal. Because even though perhaps most of it is non-binding, chances are you're not going to be able to change anything in it after it's done. So it really sets the whole stage. It's the anchor of the whole deal. It's, it, you know, changing something that was in that document afterwards could kill the whole deal. So the people think that just because it says non-binding, it's not that important, but it is very, very important. So, you know, a lawyer can really help make sure that everything in that document is what it should be. And maybe things you didn't even think of um, that you could ask for. Um, and, and and it could be really helpful to bring a lawyer in early, even before the contracts are being exchanged.
1: It sounds like even though the document might be titled non-binding, from, from the sounds yeah. of it psychologically, both between the buyer exactly. and the seller, it's about as binding as it gets. Is, is that yes. the right interpretation?
3: Yeah, so that I've seen people walk away from the deal when the other party tries to change something, even though it was non-binding. And because people just get very emotionally attached to those terms and and they feel that if somebody tries to change something, they're not negotiating in good faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's a very important part of the process. Great.
1: So for our listeners who are on the fence, but now understand why it's so important to have a business attorney uh, kind of quote unquote outsource in council uh, attorney, if that makes sense. Uh, how best can they uh, reach out and uh, have a conversation with you, Tanya?
3: Um, so obviously I'm on LinkedIn like everyone else in the world, uh, but my email is tanya at osenskilaw.com. Should I spell that out? Uh, yes, please. <laughs> sure. So it's tanya, T-A-N-Y-A at osensky, osenskyla com.
1: Great. Thank you, Tanya. Thanks. So you've heard it here uh, from the theme from our three great guests is having that hard conversation and bringing things to light to their clients, uh, whether it be changing of corporate culture and understanding why it's important not just to speak it, but also practice it from, as it would say, wall to hall, and then merging uh, over to Dixie and Tanya and looking in In regarding to their own profession in the fields, being more proactive, not just kind of looking back in history, but uh, looking and being a true sherpa, for lack of a better word, uh, for their clients. So I would like to kind of address or bring uh, three guests as they kind of mull over uh, this particular question is, what is the one question uh, in your line of work that you feel should be asked more often, but just isn't? presented as much in fear of either insulting uh, or offending the client. So the question is, what is the one question that you feel that should be asked more often in your field, but it's not asked often enough. Now kind of going into uh, my legalese as our three guests are mulling over that particular question. uh, Well, this show is sponsored and brought to you by yours truly, Anthony Chen with Lighthouse Financial Network, LLC, Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., RAA, member FINRA SIPC. RAA is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or service referenced here are independent of RAA. Our main office address is at 575 Broad Hollow Road, Melville, New York, 11747. You can best reach me at 631 465 9090 extension 5075 or my email, really. It's just my full name, Anthony Chen, C H E N at L F N L L C dot com. So, bringing our three guests back. So, the question again was what is the one big question in you feel that really should be asked and brought to the client, but because of how hard it is and not really wanting to kind of insult or offend the client, just not isn't asked enough. Andy?
0: So in thinking about that, Anthony, I think that the biggest question is, it's really kind of two questions. And the one question is, do I have a personal growth plan for me as the leader in my organization? Do I have a personal growth plan for me as the leader in my organization? And what is the growth plan that I have for the people that I'm responsible for in my organization?
1: I can see why that can be intimidating because they're the leader. (laughs) Thank you, Andy. And Dixie?
2: Yeah, I, I think the biggest question would be, how can I help the team that is already doing this function? So the someone is doing, usually, their current accounting. So how can I help them do it even better and not expect that they just know how to do technology processes, you know, other people better? And so how can you create a team? Mm.
1: Great. And Tanya?
3: All right. And I think what a lot of people fail to ask their lawyer is, what is the likelihood? So lawyers are great at identifying risks and say, well, if you, this horrible thing could happen if you do this. but clients never ask well what are the chances of that thing actually happening And that way but by knowing both of those things, you can make a, a good business decision, but just one of, uh, but just the first part is not good enough.
1: Mm-hmm. Well thank you. Thank you three for your insights. And kind of moving over to our little new segment, a little insights uh, from yours truly, uh, Anthony Chen with Family Business Radio on things that other questions should be asked, and kind of changing up the theme is rather than just the question is sometimes in as professionals when we're consulting with clients is that the clients would confide in us about their own personal issues and well. Yeah, I've been trying to say this to either my clients or, or my management team or my parents. And then you come in and say the same thing. And then all of a sudden, it's like a light bulb went off. Well, as kind of insight from myself and in consult with other <laughs> attorneys, uh, especially on the estate side, is we're all in the same boat. And that's the message I would like to share is that if there is a message that we're just running into a wall, especially with either our own clients or especially when it comes to family especially with my parents they don't I've been saying the same thing for the past 13 years and then someone else comes in and go hey you should probably consider looking into this all of a sudden they go hey anthony <laughs> what do you think about this so as a as a quick takeaway for this section is if you're running into a wall bring someone else in they might even say the same exact thing but it's just because of that different perspective they might say, hey, I never thought about that. Well, we are sitting here in the chair thinking, what, what am I missing? So that's my message. I'm Anthony Chen with Family Business Radio.